Thank you, Violet. Uh, good morning, Solano Church. I will be reading scripture today. Um, please, uh, I invite you to open up your Bibles and read along with me. From Luke chapter 1, verses 67, uh, all the way to 79. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear. In holiness and righteousness before him all our days, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. This is God's word. Thank you, Hewitt. Yeah, my name is Paul. I'm the associate pastor. And I just want to also just thank Dave Monk for um, giving us the Encouragement to give. Dave is someone who always stands in this place of talking to us about money. And that's a hard thing for a church to talk about sometimes, especially for a pastor. So I appreciate Dave standing in that space. And, you know, just as a pastor and on behalf of the staff, I just want to thank you for uh, your generosity and your prayer in, this, uh, in that way of giving. And, of course, um, I'm thankful for, to the grace of God for how he works in us to give cheerfully uh, to his kingdom, um, and I think it's a wonderful testimony of our faith that we give of that precious resource money to God in faith that he will use it. Uh, so I'm grateful uh, for uh, just that dependence that we have on him in that area. So we are kicking off our Advent series, and we have titled it A Light in the Darkness, and you might have laughed to have known how long we spent trying to figure out that title. It's just ended up being that simple, so you could talk to the staff. But a light in the darkness, the idea there is that Advent is a time where we want to see Jesus coming into the pain and brokenness of life. And so we think it's a good idea rhythmically, that is every year, to recognize that in this life there is pain, there is darkness, but Christ shines in that. And so we actually want to take time to even reflect and acknowledge the hard and dark things. So that's why we did a lament service about a week ago. And we hope to do that every year so that we can invite Christ into the hard things. I think in our human nature, it can be easy to want to ignore or slide under the rug or just to keep white knuckling and holding on to the hard things. But we as Christians want to be different where we want to acknowledge, no, we can invite Christ into those hard things. 
Um, and so we have four weeks of Advent. We're going to be focusing on the light. And the light does a few different things in the, in the New Testament and in the Advent series. It saves. We're going to see it's a light that reigns. It's a light that guides. And it's a light that shines in the world. Um, and so today's message is about, is coming from Zechariah, and the main idea behind it is the idea of preparation. And so we sang a song about this. Advent is a time of preparation. We want to prepare to receive Jesus into our life. You might say, I've already done that, and Jesus has already come. Well, kind of. He has come in one sense, but if you read one of our Advent devotionals, uh, that in one of the books, that one of the authors makes the point, but he's still coming into the world. And we are still people who wait for Jesus to come fully. And in fact, I like what John the Baptist said. He said, I must decrease and he must increase in my. And so that's the idea of Advent. We want Jesus to increase in our hearts. And so um, there needs to be preparation. And so that's a concept. Preparation is a concept we're all familiar with, especially if you cook. Anyone out there like to cook? How important is the preparation process, right? You, you can't make a good meal without preparation. I know, I know Trader Joe's has some awesome microwave dinners. And I, I, but you know, there's, that's not a real meal. We know that. You want to do a real meal, you have to prepare, and so your kitchen, right, you want, who likes to cook when you have dishes in the sink and your counters are dirty? You want to get the kitchen ready. You got to chop the onions, wait, dice the onions, chop the carrots, season the meat. And I, I don't know, that's as, that's as much preparation as I could think about. I don't cook very much. But when you do the preparation right, the meal is ready, it's enjoyable, it's satisfactory. And scripture says that's a spiritual principle. That's a spiritual principle, that there are ways in which we can prepare for God. There are certain parts of our soul that need clearing out, right? Like the dirty sink and the counters. We need to deal with some things in our souls, get them out of the way. There's some aspects of our heart that need softening. And there are some raw capacities we have for God that need to be brought into focus and intentionality. You were created to commune with God. You have faculties, but they need to be attuned to God, right? And so um, my son does my, my uh, violin lessons, and I've noticed every time he does a violin lesson, he has to tune the violin. So we gotta get in tune with God. And so Advent is a great time to do that and so we're going to be looking at what Zechariah has to say. Uh, just for context, he's, he's the father of John the Baptist. And um, he, he kind of messed up a little bit. He was a Levitical priest and so had a, a, a prestigious position of actually ministering in the temple. And the angel said, your wife is going to have a baby and he's going to be special. And Zechariah says, how can this be? She's so advanced in years. And the angel says, how dare you question me? I stand before God. Don't you know any better? And makes him mute. Cannot speak for the entire pregnancy of Elizabeth. Now, I can't help but notice that when the angel went to Mary, Mary said almost the exact same thing. How is this possible? I'm a virgin. And the angel's like, well, let me tell you how that's going to work. And it's going to be beautiful and amazing. I don't know. You tell me. I don't know what that's about. Um, 
Poor Zechariah is mute. So he had a lot of time to reflect on what it means that his son is going to be special. What is God doing? And he comes to a beautiful realization that the time of the prophets is fulfilled. God is visiting his people. And that's what we hear from him, this song. And so he starts off... um, And he says, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies, from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. So we want to prepare for the coming of Jesus And the first way we need to prepare for that, and what I think Zechariah is singing about in these opening verses, is by recognizing God's reign in the world. That's how I want us to prepare our hearts, is recognizing God's reign. One thing to notice in this passage when we start off is, and this can be challenging when we read the nativity story, is how Israel-focused it is. Right, And so, um, and, and the problem with that is, as Christians, we can wonder, what is the relevance for Christians today? So notice that Zechariah talks about that God has visited Israel and has raised up a horn of salvation in the house of his servant David. This is a big deal to Zechariah. And if you really read this first part of the song, he emphasizes that God is defeating their enemies. So what is going on there? Well, this is important for us to understand as Christians. Zechariah understood that the coming of Jesus is about kingship. This is a concept we don't always focus on. But Zechariah is saying that God is fulfilling his promise to raise up a king out of the house of David. And that king is going to establish God's reign on earth. And so is, as, an, as someone who is part of God's people, Zechariah is pumped about that. God is finally going to defeat the enemies. His enemies are enemies. And so kingship is important because it focuses on a central question of all of our lives and really the central question of all of history, who is in charge? Who, is, who has the rightful rule and authority on earth and in our lives? And that question has been hotly contested. And the earth and even our own lives bear the scars of that warfare that has been going on. And Zechariah feels like, and God's people maybe feel like um, God was losing that war because it, God's people were oppressed for 500 years. And now Zechariah realizes the tide is turning. His king has come and he calls it a horn of salvation, which in the ancient world represented kind of the greatest power. So a horn uh, the ancients realized or, or, or saw that as what an animal, you know, has a horn. The bigger the horn, the more powerful the animal. That animal wins, right? And so the, the stronger the salvation, the greater the horn. And so Zechariah is saying, this is the horn. This is the power that beats all the other horns. This is what I am going to trust in. And so he sees his salvation 
as a good thing, uh, and he is, he is celebrating it. And so, why is this relevant to us? Why is this important for us as Christians? And I, I'm going to argue because it orients us to what faith really is. What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a disciple who follows and believes in Jesus? And so I think what this passage is saying is that faith sees salvation as the reign of God. His rightful rule and authority made manifest in the world and in our life. We just sang joy to the world, the Savior reigns. And so faith celebrates that God's reign is being manifested and we rejoice in that, his reign. And so as we're preparing our hearts for Jesus, is that where you are at? Do you see and celebrate God's salvation as his reign, as his rule on earth? That you want to see manifested all over the world and maybe most difficult of all in your own heart. And so that is what Zechariah is singing about. That is the essence of what it means that God has brought salvation. He has sent his king to earth. And so if you want to know what that looks like in your heart to prepare for this, he goes on in verse 74 to say that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. That's the heart that is celebrating the reign of God. This is a heart that wants to serve the king. Is that where you are at? Notice the way we want to serve the king Right? In holiness and righteousness. Right? So if we recognize God's reign, we're saying, I am going to live my life his ways. I'm going to conform my life to his commands. What is a king? A lawgiver. That's what it means. To recognize him as king is to recognize his rules. And so we gladly say his rules are righteous and holy. I want to serve him according to his ways all the days of my life. That means that his purpose is, reigns over all my purposes. What is at bottom the deepest purpose of my life is to serve him. That is what it means to see God's reign as salvation. And so the challenge then, I hope we're feeling it. I'm feeling it. How do we get there? How do we get to this place where we are rejoicing in the reign of God being manifested in my heart? Because you know what? I'm not a Levitical priest. I'm not a servant of God type. I don't know if I, I got too many issues in my life. I can't live up to that standard. That seems awfully high. And so we need help here. We need help recognizing God's reign as the good news that it is. And so that leads us to the second way that we can prepare our hearts for Christ. There is something we need to experience personally. Verse 76. And you child, so 
Zechariah's transitioning now. He sees the big picture, right? He sees that God has sent his king and this king is gonna defeat the enemies and God is gonna reign, it's good news. But he gets personal. All right, here is what's gonna happen. You, child, the one that was gonna be born to him, John, will be called the prophet of the Most High and you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. So God's reign is good news, but we have to be prepared to receive that good news, which means we need to know something. If God's reign is going to be good news in your life, there is a knowledge that God wants you to have about what that salvation means for you, that he wants you to experience. And Zechariah captures it in one simple but profound idea, the forgiveness of our sins. That our sins are forgiven, our relationship with God is made right. You have to experience that if you are going to have a chance at celebrating the reign of God in your life and in the world. You have to experience the light that saves. God has brought the light to save us from darkness. And so this is a critical concept to understand That for God to reign in our lives as a good thing means that he has to forgive us. We need forgiveness. And so I want to dwell on this for a second. I know this is a concept that Christians are very familiar with. It's worth dwelling on though. So our sin means we are guilty before God. When the Bible says we need forgiveness, it's saying something a little bit offensive or maybe a lot offensive. There is a just reason for God to be angry with you. God is righteous in his anger towards your sin and towards you. And so the Christian message has an edge to it. I think we want to sometimes simplify it. I think people, in, if they're left to their own devices, human nature, we want to believe this really good message that there is a loving God waiting for you at the other side of death to take you home with him to paradise. I'm not going to deny that, but that's missing something. If that's all you view, salvation is, hey, when you die, there's a loving God. He's going to take us all to a nice place. What's wrong with that message? What about evil? Does God bring everyone to paradise? What about the murderers? What about the rapists? What about the oppressors? Okay, well, not them, good people. Well, where do you draw the line? Here's what everybody knows. Everybody, when you think about it. Heaven and paradise is only good news if there is judgment for evil. That there is accountability for how you live in this life. Because deep down we know there is value to human life. 
There is value in the world. You can't just do whatever you want to whoever you want and just get away with it. And exploit others to your benefit. And there's no judgment. There's no accountability. But if we believe there has to be judgment, then that means there has to be a law. And if there's a law, there's a lawgiver. So to believe in a God who would take your soul to heaven and give you that reward, you must believe at the same time that this is a God that would punish wrongdoing. If, the, if you don't have judgment, you might as well put the Congressional Medal of Honor on Adolf Hitler. Those two things should never go together. And yet without judgment, that's what happens. Everybody gets an eternal reward, no matter how bad you've been. We can't accept that. The Congressional Medal, you could take that image down. That's a shocking image. <laughs> But I want you to feel that. I want you to feel that heaven cannot reward evil. Otherwise, that is true for eternity. But what makes the Congressional Medal of Honor special? It's a medal of distinction. That's what makes it special. A distinctional, it's a distinction for exceptional acts of bravery in battle for the United States. That's what makes the Congressional Medal of Honor special. Likewise, God is a God of distinction. The distinction is his righteousness. He is worthy of praise and honor because of his character, his holiness, his righteousness. And so his reward reflects that distinction. Those who live a righteous life according to his kingdom, he says, there is a reward for you, eternal life. So for those who've lived their life seeking God's glory, loving God, loving neighbor, refusing to take vengeance, speaking nothing but the truth, never exploiting anybody, always viewing others in complete purity, always seeking the glory of the creator, never grumbling, Obeying your parents and, every, and honoring everyone in authority. Always speaking honestly. Always seeking forgiveness for your own mistakes. To those, God says, a reward is waiting for you. Because you were righteous. But to the rest, to the unrighteous, to those of us who've spurned God's law, to sinners, you, we have not earned a reward. Our heaven is going to be tarnished. That Congressional Medal of Honor just might as well go on any all evil people. And God would have abdicated his role as a lawgiver and judge, thereby spurning the innocent and the needy and the poor that he was supposed to protect. But to those who know their unrighteousness, know they have not earned a reward for the way they have lived their life, who look at what God says about what is good and right and true and say, I have failed that. And they, we beat our chest and say, I don't deserve a reward. Have mercy on me. 
to those people, God wants you to know there is forgiveness for you. If you think you are righteous and can pass the law of God's law, then go for it. But God has told you what is righteous. And for those of us who say, yeah, I see what is good and true and holy, I don't live up to that. Have mercy on me. That's all the chance I have. God wants you to know there is forgiveness of you because of the baby that was born. And so this is the good news that we are celebrating that this baby grew up and became a man. And in his life, he did love God perfectly. He did love his neighbor perfectly with every sinew and fiber of his soul, mind, and body. He earned that righteous reward of heaven. And yet on the cross, he traded it. He traded his reward for our punishment so that we could be forgiven. His blood shed for us. And at this point, we might dare ask, why would God do that? How many of us want to scrutinize the heart of God? I don't think any of us would dare do that, yet God opens up his heart to us so that we could see the blazing center of a holy God, that we could behold it in its fullness. Verse 77, why does he forgive sinners? To give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God. This is what God wants us to know. His tender mercy is who he is. That word tender is the word spelankna. I think you've heard Miguel teach on this. Spelankna is a word that means inward parts. So I think that's why they translate it tender because it's like tender in there. Um, but it also can mean often, it's more often translated as heart or affection. So this passage is saying, do you know what's at the center of God? You want to know what's at the heart of God? It's mercy. My son, um, you know, I, I talked to my son Ben, and he, he loves God, but he struggles with the idea of God. He's sensitive. And he often feels unworthy of God's love, already at nine years old. And he's scared of God's judgment. He senses his sin and his unworthiness already. And he's afraid of God's judgment. It happens a lot. We have these conversations a lot. So this, was, this, this week, I was meditating on this passage, and he's coming to me, and I'm thinking about the spelankna of God, of mercy. And so I gave him this analogy. I said, Ben, I want you to think of a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. What do you look at when you see that sandwich? You just see the bread, right? But what happens when you bite into it? There's this gooey center of amazingness of peanut butter and jelly, right? And, and so you, you, you can't have the peanut butter and jelly without the bread. I mean, I know you can. But no one does that, right? Guys, tell me you don't do that. But the bread is the vehicle for that, that gooey center and the totality of it makes this amazing sandwich. And so I was trying to explain to Penn is God's judgment is like that bread. It's the vehicle for his mercy, right? Because the judgment of God is meant to drive us not away from him, but towards him. 
so that we see, oh my gosh, I have no hope but the mercy of God. And so the judgment allows us to realize what our true need is. I don't measure up. I am guilty before God so that we would stop trying to strive in our own righteousness and instead go to the gooey center of God's heart. God is, why is there so much judgment in the Bible? Because God wants to bring us to the blazing center of his mercy. In the center and heart of God is not judgment, it's mercy. Judgment is there. But his spelunkna is not judgment. It's mercy. So when we pierce God, outflows forgiveness. When we eat his, his body and drink his blood, those are pictures of judgment. We are filled with tender mercy. I appreciated Tom's devotional where, you know, when he's a chaplain and he's, Meeting with people who are dying or sick and feel desperate, he, they're always open for prayer. And his, his prayer, his heart, his prayer was always that they would experience this, that God's tender love for them. And in his prayer, he would notice they would cry. And something he would share and say is that they got a sense of his strong, generous, uncritical love. And so they experienced that in prayer God wants us to experience it in the reality and fullness of what it means that he gave his son Jesus. And so we need to prepare our hearts by recognizing his reign, but also by experiencing the knowledge of his forgiveness that was brought about by his tender mercy. You never stop experiencing that. You never stop needing to go to that center of who God is. Because what will creep in is the need to earn and prove and justify ourselves. And God wants us to rest in, the, in that center, that gooey center. God is, what's, you know, hard exterior but mushy interior, that's kind of what God is saying. I'm like, yes, there's an edge, but come to me receive forgiveness. And so lastly, we need to prepare our hearts in one last way. We need to make room for Christ in our life. We need to recognize his reign. We need to experience his forgiveness. We need to make room for Christ in our lives. Poor Mary and Joseph could find no room in the inn. And they had to go to a stable with the animals. I wonder if that's a metaphor for our hearts Will God find room in your life? Or are you going to crowd him out? And that's the thing about a baby. Christmas is about a baby being born. God came in physical form. The thing about a baby is you got to, you got to make room for it. Right? It's so real. When you, when you have a baby in your home, you got to make space for that baby. It takes over your life. And so the fact that, that God became a baby, became a human being, is saying that faith means that God wants you to invite him into the realness of your life. It's got to get real. So if you want to prepare your hearts, how are you going to prepare a room for him in your life? And so let me suggest three ways to make space for God in the realness of your life. Uh, Number one, I would say, make room for Christ 
in your schedule. Time is one of the biggest, um, one of the t- biggest resources we have. And so one of the things about light, light acts as knowledge, is a metaphor for knowledge. God wants you to grow in your knowledge of him. In fact, in 2 Peter it says, if you're not growing in your knowledge, you're becoming stagnant and ineffective. And in Corinthians, what we learned about, if you remember, I'm sure you all remember, in uh, chapter 2, God, maybe 3, God imparts spiritual knowledge. Remember that? The Spirit is teaching us spiritual truths. God wants you to grow in your insight into this mystery, into this knowledge of forgiveness. He wants you to experience the growing of your knowledge and mind and insight of who God is. He wants to impart that to you. That doesn't happen automatically. We're going to read, what we we read is that uh, uh, Zechariah, you know, he says that the light is a guide to our feet. So the idea of Feet means that we are walking. We have agency now. We have agency to pursue God. We have agency to dig. And so make room in your schedule to learn about Christ. How are you, how are you reading and studying and meditating and discussing and writing and expressing? Those should be regular parts of the Christian's life. So let us make room in our schedule to learn about Christ. He should be a regular, significant part of your life, not unlike a baby, will be a part of a new family's life. Make room for him in your schedule. Make room in your heart to be cleansed by Christ. So we see here that light shines in the darkness and in the shadow of death. I had a whole reflection on that, but I didn't have time for it. So I'll, I'll get to the main idea. That darkness it refers to sin. There's more that it means as well, and, and the idea of the shadow of death. But, you know, 1 John says that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we're good with God, and we're walking in sin... We lie and do not practice the truth. We can't say when we say God is light and we're just living in darkness and sin like it's all good, God says, you're a liar. No way you can do that. If God is light, what does light do to darkness? What's the word I'm looking for? Someone help me out. Expels it. Yeah, something. Gets rid of it. It wins. It's, It's gone, right? And so... But what he goes on to say in 1 John is he says, so instead, if we confess our sins, we walk in the light. And his blood forgives us and cleanses us. There's that light working on the darkness. So God says there is a power in confession. The light has come. You got to let it in. You got to let it into the dark places of your heart, which means you got to confess it. You got to bring it into the light. You got to say it to God. You got to say it to others. So make room in your heart by acknowledging areas of sin or hard heartedness in your life. And don't be scared to do that. Remember the spelunkna of God. 
tender mercy awaits you. Forgiveness, cleansing, power. That's all that confession brings to you. And lastly, make room in your will to walk with Christ and childlike trust. I think what I'm trying to get out here when I think about the light is a guide to our feet in the way of peace. What that's saying is God wants you to flourish in your life, but you're going to have to make choices to stay on his path. And so some of us have made choices that have taken us away from that path or are blocking that path. And so God, through his word, through the light that he gives you, the light of his word, the light of Christian community, you're going to begin to recognize things that need to change in your life. You're going to have to make choices of your will. That's what a walk means. What a beautiful picture that we are now walking with God. But that means you have agency. You're going to have to make decisions with your feet, meaning your will and how you live. But a walk also implies a journey, which means you have not arrived. God knows that. He just wants you to take the next step with him. What is the next step? Because I was thinking about this, sometimes a walk with God feels like the light in Barnes and Nobles. It's just like, I love being in Barnes and Nobles. There's so many things to explore. I like the different, I want to look at the journals. I want to look at the board games. I want to look at the religious section. I want my coffee. I just love it. And so Christianity can feel that way. Like, oh, you're just, everything is looking good. You love church and home group and friends. It's just, it's it's going good. But sometimes it can feel like a dark path. And the darkness of life sets in. And the light is just a guide because, you know, when it's dark and you're on the path, you, you, it's hard to move forward. You can't see ahead of you, but that light helps you just take the next step. Take the next step. And so a walk, lastly, a walk implies that you're trusting in God as leading you. So that's the childlike faith. Is that you're going to have to make decisions that you may not know the outcome. You're going to have to trust his word, his Righteousness, his will above her own understanding. And some of you may be facing that. God's going to call you up to make some decisions that maybe feel hard, but you know it's the right thing to do. It's the right change. And you're going to have to trust him. And so to help us do this, to help us make space, I want to make this as real as possible. This is part of what, what we like to do during Advent is give you guys a little participation element Right? And so you guys have those cards in front of you. So why don't we turn the lights down, Martin? So just to symbolize the darkness, we want to bring ourselves into the light of who Jesus is. On these cards, I want you to write down a way that God may be wanting you to prepare for more of Christ in your life. And I gave those three ways. How will you make room in your schedule to learn from Jesus? What are some things that you need to do to invite Christ more into your life in terms of what, how you spend your time with him, with his people? Is there any changes there? How do you need to invite Christ into some of the dark hearts, parts of your heart, maybe where there's some sin or, or some areas of hardness of heart and you just, you've just left them unaddressed. 
And no one, you're not really talking about it, but it's there. And it's time to bring it into the light. Bring it into God's tender mercy. Write that down. I'd probably also write down who you're going to tell. One thing about confession to God is God is invisible, which is still good. I'm not saying don't confess to God, but who else are you going to bring along with you? And lastly, the light that guides some of you may have choices that you sense God is calling you to make. Certain decisions, certain changes in your life, things you need to start doing, things you need to stop doing, people in your life that you need to address in a certain way or um, I'm not sure. You know, for me, I, I, I want to do some, there's some things I want to do more to gain in knowledge and I, I need to bring, I need, to, I need God to help me in some areas of home related to impatience and, and anger. So whatever you guys have, there's some things there. So maybe, maybe there's nothing. It's okay. I don't want you to feel like you have to. Maybe not all three, but something. How do you need to prepare for Christ? Some way to make room for him. Let me pray. Lord, um, we thank you for this time in the year to just really reflect on what it means that you came into the world as a human being, as a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, Lord, to reflect your tender mercy. What better picture of tenderness than a baby? And you were pleased to give us that vision of your heart. Yet that baby grew and became a man and faced the horrors of your judgment that we deserved, that we may be forgiven. So Lord, let us prepare for you by learning and experiencing that forgiveness and then making room for you in the realness of our life. I pray you'd help all of us know where you're calling us to make that space and make that room. We invite you into it. So Lord, use this time of dropping the cards off into the manger. Use this time of communion, Lord, to help us, help you increase in our life. In your name, your precious, in the precious name of your son, Jesus, I pray. So I just forgot to say that just when you're going to do communion, which Violet will, will guide us, just drop your card off, lay it in the manger, just symbolically into the light to help make it real for you. Thanks, Paul.